All right, it's time to head overseas, as we love to do, and find out uh, what's going on around the place. And let's go to Celeste Katz-Marston, who's on the line with us from the US. Hi. Good morning. It's lovely to talk to you, and thank you for joining us at this uh, time of the year, this celebratory time of the year. I know. I wish I could report that we had had a white Christmas, but for some reason, Boston has very rare white Christmases. Maybe it's being close to the water or something, but uh, not again this year, unfortunately. Wow, that's interesting because it gets very cold in Boston, but, but no white Christmas this year, huh? No, we get heavy snow sometimes, and um, I'm actually speaking to you from a little further inland from Boston. I'm speaking to you from Concord, Massachusetts, the the cradle of the American Revolution, if people have heard of it, you know, yeah, sort of yeah. Concord and Lexington. And we do get serious, serious cold weather and snow here. But for some reason, Christmas, we miss out pretty often. I think the last one might have been back in like 2009 or something. Actually. Wow. Yeah. Now, gee, Celeste, we've uh, done this story ourselves, but now I just think this is the tip of the iceberg. The New York Times is suing OpenAI for using articles to train AI. I just think this is going to be a minefield in the years to come. So what's happened here? For sure. I think you're totally right about that. And this is something that is always very interesting to me as somebody in the news business. I've been a reporter for, oh God, a long time, almost 30 (laughs) years. And, um, you know, a lot of us in the business are looking at this and saying, what is next? What is going to happen? Are we, for one thing, are uh, AI models going to put people out of a job? Will the machines just write all your news from now on? And I'm sure you guys are thinking the same thing there too. But uh, this is a, a court case the New York Times, as you say, suing uh, OpenAI and Microsoft. And it's basically a copyright infringement type of case. Um, The AI models use huge amounts of written material to train the computer to come up with, to write, essentially, to think and write like a person. I mean, they're not really thinking for themselves in the classic way that human beings do. But what they do is they ingest a huge, huge amount of material, including millions and millions of news stories and that trains the computer to sort of predict how um, yeah. human writing works so the times is saying well you can't just take all our stuff and feed it into the machine because what it's spitting out is basically almost the exact same wording that we used in the newspaper so you're not really entirely training the machine with it it's just stealing our stuff and hmm. spitting it back out yeah i spoke to uh, one of the guys who came up with chat gpt and just and i very quickly celeste uh, got my own account so i could talk to him and i asked chat gpt to give me an intro for him and it wrote one for me literally in seconds and i was just incredibly stunned but as you say i mean these things ingest massive amounts of text which they take from the internet i think he uh, was telling me that uh, a lot of these came from uh the dictionary as well. The dictionary doesn't have as many words as the internet. Anyway, the whole thing, uh, I think most uh, you know, average people are, are going to be stunned by AI and what it's going to mean. Right. And we, if you think about it, we use AI already in our daily yeah, lives, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, doing searches or if you've ever interacted with uh, a voice activated system when you're trying to, say, buy tickets or make an appointment or something like that. Um, those were kind of the, the earlier models. But now, if you think about it, if you can... Uh, type in any question, or now you can make a request, write uh, write the intro to my show, write mm. an article for me, write my college essay or yeah, something like yeah. that. 
um, you know, and the idea here is that training is one thing, teaching the machines is one thing to essentially mimic human speech and human writing, mm. but just stealing stuff is a very different story. Yeah, it is. Well, then you get into this, oh, goodness me. I mean, the lawyers are, again, going to make all the money, aren't they? Uh, this concept in copyright law that you've sent me here allows people to use the work of others if it is substantially changed. So the lawsuit's going to be very interesting to follow, isn't it? I think so. And then, of course, a lot of the same rules now, we're trying to, the, sort of the law is catching up with the technology. Yeah. You would think that some of the same rules apply, like when you write um, a research paper in school or when you write uh, a newspaper story or a radio story or something. If you're using a substantial amount of material that somebody else has already written uh, or a direct quotation, you would cite them. Mm. So are we? how are we training the models to understand sort of the legal and moral complexities of citation? When is an idea yours fully generated and when is it derived from something else? And, you know, obviously, you know, being in the business or being in the news business uh, or in media, you know, sometimes it's really hard to come up with something that is 100 percent completely yeah. original, yeah. Even, even if you're providing context for a story that you're writing about with fresh quotations or new data or new research. You still have to at least acknowledge knowledge that some of mm. that material came from somewhere else. And I think that's the trouble that they're running into in this lawsuit. Well, you know, as you and I both know, I mean, plagiarism was very much frowned upon, but now that's very muddy water, isn't it? I think that, you know, in, in these cases, um, is it, um, is there a way to train the machines to understand that you have to give credit where credit is <laughs> yeah, due, essentially? Yeah, yeah. And you would think a computers that this powerful and, and this versatile would be able to come up with a way to rephrase the information. But um, if it's essentially doing a rephrase of an entirely unique piece of work, if I write a story for the newspaper that is exclusive, so to speak, nobody else has this material. Uh, I am the first person to unearth it, whatever it may be, a, a unique interview or putting together uh, data from, from surveys or studies or something in a, in a unique way. Mm. Is there a way to perfectly rephrase that so that it is considered a fair use, but uh, without citing me? Uh, I don't think so. But uh, I think that's what the law is trying to work out. Just yeah. The machines are working a little faster than the law. Yeah, they are. And in this business of mine, which I've been telling the listeners for a while, it, it's now almost perfect. I mean, my voice could be replicated and my listeners probably wouldn't know it wasn't me. Uh, but how, uh, you know, I answer the telephone and have listeners on air with me, how the AI can uh, accomplish that. I mean, I suppose it can eventually, but uh, as I say, I really do think, um, and I'm not going to stop it, am I? <laughs> but uh, I think we're heading, we're heading down a slippery slope. We really are. For, for sure. And now we're seeing this in things uh, a lot of media organizations are are sort of uh, experimenting with, and some of them have been called out for using AI to generate um, news stories and so on. And Part of the problem with that is that sometimes the machine generates stories with fake facts, with incorrect information that That's could right. even be dangerous, yeah. not to mention misleading. And then the other thing some media outlets have been kind of uh, excoriated for really is writing, uh, having stories written by AI that are passed off as being written by a human reporter. Mm. Yeah, and that is very scary because that is a a very uh, a very bright line you can draw, and some people are not doing. That. Well, you know, the techos and the tech companies think they're very clever, but the rest of us are just shaking our heads, aren't we? <laughs> 
I think so, but I don't know, Tim. How do I know you're not a computer? Well, exactly. Do you even have exactly a the shape? point? Exactly the point. <laughs> and and me, you. How, how do I know that I'm actually? Ta- oh, stop it! <laughs> it's getting scary. <laughs> now uh, this isn't scary. It's just fun. Uh, and why didn't I think of this, by the way, with this um, the date pattern? A record number of uh, of weddings in Vegas coming up in a couple of days. Yeah, that's kind of a neat thing. People always look for a, a fun, a fun date for their wedding or a meaningful date for their wedding or for, you know, maybe a day that they hope their child will be born or, or something yeah. like that. And so uh, this New Year's Eve is going to be a very, very big deal for weddings in Las Vegas. But I imagine, I imagine lots of places, because if you write out the date, uh, December 31, 2023, if you write it out in the shorthand pattern, it comes out 12, 31, 23 which comes out one two three one two three which is wow. you know is there is there a way to oops <laughs> that was wacky I, I so i'm sort of true maybe the machines are after me again but no. in any event um <laughs> who knows who knows um in in any event it's it's just sort of like a cool memorable date and people want something neat like that so las vegas traditionally a place where you can get married uh you know sort of a shotgun wedding or a, an Elvis wedding or a little chapel wedding. And they have this huge surge in people booking weddings for this date. So people can have this special anniversary. One, two, three, one, two, three. Right. Well, see, you guys do 12, 31, 23, but we do 31, 12, 23, but it still works. It still works. The numbers are still the same, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just comes out kind of cool and people have, I mean, my yeah. anniversary happens to be October 10th. So we say, you know, 10, 10, that's an, an easy one to remember. And also happens to be uh, the, the uh, frequency of a radio station that I no, used to listen go. to a lot growing go. up in, in New York. But uh, so if people are looking for a meaningful kind of a quirky date, I think this is sort of, uh, <laughs> if you want to get it, get it this year because it's not happening. That's the one. And uh, you, you're telling me a hell of a lot of people get married uh, in Vegas anyway, but they're choosing this. We're talking in the hundreds, are we? People get married uh, in Vegas, uh, what, almost every day? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And they yeah. get married around the clock. They get married in the middle of the night. They get married early <laughs> in the morning. I mean, it's a real, it's a big, big business. And I think maybe that's because it might be relatively easier to get a marriage license in the the state of Nevada. Um, but also it's just sort of culturally, it's kind of a quirky thing, you know, I don't think you can. I don't know if you can get married by an Elvis impersonator in Concord, Massachusetts. But I'm kind <laughs> of guessing that at least at the very least, they would be a little bit harder to come by. But it's, so, I mean, isn't it the case? Uh, it's not very romantic, Celeste, is it? I mean, you know, you go to the casinos and get, you know, full of lunatic soup and say, oh, it's a good idea to go and get married. So off you go and get married. And the next day you go, oh, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> That is true. I think that I don't know if their divorce laws are equally convenient to their marriage laws, but that that might be a, a consideration. You could get an annulment if you really think you blew it <laughs> and, and you just want to sort of pretend that never happened. But um, so it's it's something fun. So, yeah, I think that the the record that they're trying to beat is something over. Uh, I think it's about four forty five hundred marriages. In, in a wow. single day. That is uh, back from 2007 uh, in Las, that's the Las Vegas uh, record. And then um, they might, I don't know if they might be able to do it, but by these reports that I've been reading, all these chapels are completely booked up. I, I don't know if people will just physically be standing in line for a 10 second wedding Far so up. they can get the next people in. So, I mean, to your question, is that really romantic? 
Uh, I don't know, maybe, but it's it's a it's a good story, and I guess if you're getting married to the right person, it's romantic. No I, matter. What I guess so. and they provide the the celebrant and the witnesses and everything, don't they? It's all done. Oh, yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. The little uh, you know, the little bell ringing and all that stuff. <laughs> um, they might even provide the veil. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, good luck to them. But I get it. I get the the, the date numbers thing. That's good. Now back to something that's not good. Goodness me. Social media companies made 11 B for billion dollars in the United States. That's not in total. That's just revenue from miners. That's disturbing. Yeah, and this is something that we've we've talked about here on the program yeah. and we've been thinking about, and I'm sure you, you have been thinking about um, as well, which is sort of how much advertising, especially uh, people in general, but certainly kids, impressionable little kids are mm. exposed to somebody uh, trying to sell them something uh, to make them look a certain way, feel a certain way, appear mm. a certain way to their friends or their classmates or something like that. And what we're finding out, um, we certainly have known that to be true for a while, and we've had congressional hearings about it. But this is an interesting study in that it sort of attempts to quantify how much money how much advertising revenue is coming in from children, yeah, from well, minors. Yeah. And it is a huge number, as you say, $11 billion with a B off of little kids being exposed to stuff on TikTok and Snapchat and, and all these uh, social media platforms. That's a lot of money. So you can see, at the very least, you can see the motivation of these companies to maybe not be in a huge rush to change some of their practices because, you know, there's a bottom line there and it's a big one. Yeah, it is. And God, when you think about that, um, and have some of your lawmakers, I notice New York and Utah have actually passed some legislation to combat that. Successful or not? You wouldn't know yet, I guess. I, I think there's a frustration, at least in some quarters, with some of these uh, some of these platforms essentially saying it's a free market economy, it's a matter of free speech. These are not public squares. They are private platforms with, uh, you know, terms of yeah, use guess, and yeah. so on. When you sign up, you are clicking a box, whether or not you read the fine print, you know, you are agreeing to give them certain of your information. You are agreeing to uh, view advertising unless you pay uh, like a sort of a premium fee to, to not be exposed to the advertising. And part of this, of course, is uh, a matter of parental supervision. Should you just be handing your kid a phone or a tablet and saying, you know, go to town, look at whatever you want, because even if it's not advertising, they could certainly be exposed to other things that are not appropriate or not in line with your view of uh, good parenting and, and good guidance. So there's a measure certainly of personal responsibility here, but people also are looking to the industry and saying, look, you have to have some control about the way you mm. treat children. We've made changes in this country. I mean, so there used to be cigarette advertisements uh, everywhere you went, liquor mm. advertisements no, everywhere yeah, you went, yeah. doctors advertising smoking. I mean, just yeah, I know it was it, it was frightening, and you know you see it on the social media. People put up these old ads, you know, from the the seventies and eighties, where you know smoking was actually considered to be, in some cases, beneficial to your health. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? But they've all gone. But I tell you the thing that worries me about this because I get them myself. I mean, you're looking up something online, and you get a pop up ad, and it says skip the ad, and you got to do that, and you're forever doing that. But you know, kids might not. You know, they're on their devices all the time and they'll see the pop-up ad and go, oh, well, that's interesting. And as we all know, it happened to a mate of mine, they get hold of mum and dad's credit card, but might even have one of their own and away they go. It, that's scary, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's the the worrisome part of it really is that small kids, their minds aren't fully developed. They may not be fully aware of the difference between, say, uh, a fairy tale and a reality or, you know, a tall story and exaggeration. So can they really tell the difference between advertising and say just a TV program or a video short or, or any of these things? And also there's a real cross in society generally you know you know have these influencer people are they celebrities are they entertainers are they salespeople? Mm. sometimes it's really hard to know and sometimes they're all of those things together so when a kid is exposed to uh somebody on a screen telling them that something is going to make them look really good it's going to make them really strong it's going to make mm. them appear cool to their friends or prettier or or you know smarter or something like this taller for for all we know yeah um yeah. they're going to want to try it and they can't really make adult level judgments about whether those claims are true and they can't necessarily make good decisions about whether those things are worth the price that is being charged for them Yes. Uh, look, I think, I don't know about you, one of those instances, and you know, government can't always help you, but in this case, they certainly could step in and uh, introduce some restrictions because uh, you can bet the media companies won't. Right. Well, there's no, there's really not much of a financial incentive for them to cut off no. advertising to children if it's making them $11 billion. It's no. a lot of money. That's right. So, um, you know, in, in these cases, there there is a measure, certainly, I think, of parental guidance. But uh, there's also a societal uh, interest in limiting the exposure of kids to some of this stuff. If little kids are constantly, you know, especially, I, don't know, I would say especially girls, but that may not even be, it may be distributed equally across all children. Mm. If kids are constantly being exposed to messages of you need to look a certain way to be an interesting person, to be a worthwhile person. And I can give you that for this amount of money. uh, But if you don't spend the money or if you don't have this thing, or if you don't act this way, you're not going to be cool and people will hate you. Those are dangerous messages for some kids. Those those are are not just enticements. All right. All right. Something can be done about that. Now, if you're after a romantic story, here's one. I just love it. Little Brewster Island and Sally Snowman. Tell us. So this is the person, this this is a woman who is retiring. She is going to be, uh, she's uh, here in Massachusetts in Boston, and she is the last official lighthouse keeper in America. (laughs) And she will be retiring uh, at the end of the year. Mm. She's been at this lighthouse for uh, about 20 years, but she's had sort of a lifelong love of, lighthouses and so she works at boston light it's on little brewster island um right here and this is the she's the last official coast guard lighthouse keeper in the united states and so that era is coming to an end what is well it's a shame in a way i mean i'm I'm sad for her because i bet she'll be sad goodness me that's a, a a beautiful job and she's done it a long time yeah, she's she's been fascinated by by the lighthouses and and by this building since uh, you know many 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 years ago. She dreamed about getting married there and and so on. She was in love with the place, and she still dresses up in sort of uh, it, historical clothing. She actually believes in that she was in a past life. Yeah, might that. have been yeah. the yeah the the lighthouse keeper's wife. 
but wow. from you know ages and ages ago from the the guy who was the lighthouse keeper back in the uh, late 1700s mm. but um and you know this is it's sort of ceremonial in that the lighthouse is now automated she's not well, of actually course. Yes, of course. physically maintaining all the, uh, the the light and the the lenses and and all these things um but it it's sort of a part of our history she's also the first and the last woman to be the keeper of the lighthouse wow so um it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a beautiful story. And it's, it's it is, you know, going yeah. back to what we talked about at the beginning, the idea of automation and, and computerization of all these things. This was sort of a last little touch of humanity, maybe ceremonial, mm. but uh, a last little glimpse of, of a human being um, in this very traditional role that is now coming to a close. Yes. And well, it goes back, by the way, listeners, uh, to 70 odd uh, keepers all the way back to 1716 when the lighthouse was first established as one of the first in the colonies. Just a, that is a lovely story. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think certainly she will be sad to be going. And I think that for all of us, uh, you know, uh, living in new England, I'm a new England transplant, but mm. new Englanders certainly uh, revere and, and value and treasure their history and their traditions. So the idea that uh, this little part of the tradition is, is going to sort of have the book closed on, it might be a, a sad moment for some people. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, thank you very much and a happy new, t- new year to you. And thank you, you too. Celeste Katz Marston. Overnights on ABC Radio. Radio.